Hello, welcome back to God's Pathway to Life for you. I'm your host, Dave. Today I got something special for you today. I always like to find uh, stuff that reinforces the stuff that I talk about. And so this is not just coming from me, it's, that it's coming from people that actually know what they're talking about. So uh, today we're going to talk about um, uh, prayer and the profitability of prayer. And I found a sermon from uh, George W. Truett on the uh, website for the church, southheightsbaptistchurch.com. And uh, I'm going to go ahead and read you a bio the church has on the website for Dr. George W. Truett. Born on May 6, 1867, on a farm in the mountains of North Carolina, George W. Truett became one of the most influential pastors in the first half of the 21st century. In 1887, at the age of 30, he became a pastor of the First Baptist Church of Dallas, Texas. He had wanted to turn it down, but felt God was saying to take the job. Uh, during his 47 years of leadership, the church grew from 715 members to over 7,000. Even after the church was remodeled, a thousand people might be turned away from the doors on a given Sunday. First Baptist Dallas had the largest membership in the world at that time and was highly influential. Truett almost left the pulpit once due to his accidental shooting one of his closest friends, the Dallas chief of police, in a hunting accident, whereupon the chief died. Praying and crying, he could not bring himself to preach again until in a vision he saw Christ saying, You are my man from now on. When he returned to the pulpit, all of the other churches in Dallas closed their doors so that their members could go hear him preach. In his ministry in Dallas and in the few recordings available of him demonstrates what God will do with someone, anyone who gives their life totally to him. He died in 1944 after a painful illness. And so I'm going to go ahead and play his uh, sermon. Uh, that's going to be next and so enjoy the sermon, and remember when it's over, it's over, so I'm going to go ahead and say goodbye now. So uh, thanks for uh, tuning in to the podcast. I appreciate you guys, and I've noticed that uh, you guys are coming to the website on Sunday at 11 a.m., so I guess you are attending the church, and I appreciate that. Thank you so much. It looked like there was about nine of you that clicked on the, the link for that uh, church's website on Sunday, so I appreciate that. Thank you, and God bless you for that. Okay, that's all I have for today. Remember to say something nice you don't, to someone you don't know because God said we are all strangers too and he loved us so. Uh, your friend in Christ, Dave. Bye. Let us face the question that is propounded widely now. Is prayer profitable? The question may easily be suggested by a question from the early days of Job. What profit should we have if we pray unto God? You will recall that the man in Job's time asked this question cynically, contemptuously, derisively. They said, who is the Almighty that we should serve him? And they went on to say, What profit should we have if we pray unto him? In no such spirit, I am happy to believe, would we ask this question 
at this noonday service. Not in the spirit of cynicism or doubt, but in the spirit of sincerity and confident faith, we would ask this question today. What profit should we have if we pray unto God? Is prayer profitable? Our answer to that question is a definite, positive, affirmative yes. And the reasons for such affirmative answer are not far afield. They're close at hand. Prayer is profitable because prayer is reasonable. Now, just at that point, the objector to prayer and to the teachings of our holy religion interposes his objection. He declares that there is no profit in prayer because he avers that if prayer were answered, law would be upset and the machinery of the world would be disarranged. He avows that you cannot overcome law and that to ask for God to do things for us, if he were to answer us favorably, would be to set law aside. What answer shall we make to this objector? Two or three simple words. And first of all, we answer him that prayer, that law, is one of God's tools, that's all. God is the author of law, the fashioner of law. Law is just one of his tools. He has many tools in his tool chest, and one of those tools is prayer. The late President Mullins tells us about some farmers in a field, in several fields adjoining one another. And quite a storm came up, and the men rushed to a little vacant house hard by them in order to be sheltered from the storm. And the storm continued quite a while, so that the men engaged in an extended conversation, as men will when they get together. Presently, they were talking about the all-important subject, the everlasting reality of religion. And they were presently discussing the vitality and meaning of prayer. They had one doubter in the company. All the farmers were Christians save one. He was a skeptic. And when they got to the subject of prayer, he made himself heard. He spoke loudly, vehemently, aggressively. Why, well, he said, prayer is folly, utterly futile. You can't overcome law, he said. And if prayer were answered, you'd set law aside. For example, he said, you can't overcome the law of gravity. If an object were flung upward, he said, nothing could make it stay up there. Gravity would pull it back to the earth. And one of the old farmers, whittling away with his knife upon a stick, said, say that last thing again. And emboldened, the skeptic said, you can't overcome the law of gravity. If an object were flung upward, nothing could make it stay up there. Gravity would pull it back to the earth. And the farmer said, I'll show you and he flung his open knife upward, and it adhered to the ceiling. It didn't come back. He said, have now overcome gravity. We are never to allow ourselves to be frightened 
with great swelling words about the inexorableness is just simply one of God's tools. And he is over law, the director, the fashioner of law. Still again, this objective teaching takes no account of God's marvelous reserve. Oh, how rich God must be in reserve. And this objective teaching makes no allowance for that. Fancy an automobile going down the street fast, oftentimes too fast to last. And fancy a little toddling child coming out at the gate unaware of its danger, all unconscious of its danger, and it goes toddling into the street, and the onlooker can see that dashing car, and can see that little child, and the heart fairly stops with fear but the driver of that car readjusts the machinery and the child is spared. Oh, how rich are God's reserves. When Elisha was here and there came against him a great host, the prophet of God, his servant all frightened, went to his master and said, Alas, master, what shall we do? They are all around us, our enemies, what shall we do? And Elisha prayed God to open the young man's eyes and his eyes were opened, and he saw the mountain round about, filled with chariots and horses that God had sent to defend his servant. This teaching against prayer takes no account of God's amazing reserves. Still again, it takes no account of this great truth that love is above all, and that God is love. Does he not tell us, like as a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him? And doesn't he say to us, Ask, and ye shall receive. Seek, and ye shall find. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. And he goes on to say, If a son shall ask bread of any of you that is a father, will he give him a stone? Or if he ask a fish, will he for a fish give him a serpent? Or if he shall ask an egg, will he offer him a scorpion? Would a father treat his boy like that? Very well. God goes on to say, If ye then, being evil, know how to give good gifts unto your children, how much more shall your heavenly Father give good gifts when we call unto him for them, chief among them being the gift of his own blessed Holy Spirit? Prayer is profitable because prayer is reasonable. Still again, prayer is profitable because prayer is necessary. Urgently, imperiously necessary. God hath set eternity in our hearts. And there is the cry of the eternal in our hearts at times. The Bible reminds us he hath set eternity in their heart, and nothing short of the eternal can suffice and satisfy the heart, and the cry for prayer is imperiously urged. When I was overseas 21 or two years ago, six months with the boys battling in that great world drama, and the boys were brought back torn and wounded and overborne with their distresses. I could hear them all over the field saying one word, Oh God, 
Oh, God, in their distresses they called out of the imperious necessities of their being. And along with that word, oh, God, was the other surpassingly pathetic cry, oh, my mother, my mother. There is something within us that calls out in the day of need for God. Long years ago, when the Continental Congress was making poor headway, Benjamin Franklin, that very sane man, said, let's ask a preacher to come in and open this Congress every day with prayer. This group of men needs God. And a preacher was brought in to open the Congress with prayer and has kept on from that day to this. Years ago, when a great political convention was in session in the great American city and the committee on platform was deadlocked, they couldn't agree, and they held up those thousands of delegates for two or three extra days because the platform committee couldn't agree. You will recall the story. It's wonderfully dramatic. William Jennings Bryan was on that committee. Whatever you may think about his political peanuts, he was a great Christian, a wonderful man of God and servant of men. And after a while, William Jennings Bryan said, gentlemen, I don't mean to deal out any cant to you. We can't agree, we don't agree. The Bible says, and I believe it, said Brian, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. If you don't mind, let's bow our heads, and we'll ask God to get us out of this awful tangle we're in. And I'll lead in prayer. You'll join asking the great and gracious and infinite God to give us men in our perplexities the wisdom we need. And Brian prayed in that group of politicians, and presently they were agreed on their platform. You may recall years ago when one of the worst floods that ever came to distress and almost to destroy a great section of China. The floods caused from uh, the uh, Yellow River there. You may remember that the destruction was so appalling that at last the chief Chinaman of his day, Li Hung Chang, he called our missionaries together. And he said, uh, you worship a God that I do not know. We are getting nowhere with our call upon our God. Call upon your God. We must have help above ourselves. And our missionaries all over China met in groups and prayed God to stay the floods that the people might despair. What am I saying? I'm saying that prayer is an imperiously urgent necessity of our very beings in hours of crisis, in hours of distress, in hours of need. Years and years ago, the young man whom I had, uh, at whose wedding I had officiated, and later along watched the unfolding happy family. He came early one morning for me, phoning me beforehand, saying, I'll be there in the car for you. Be ready, you're needed at my house. And I was there ready for him, and uh, was in his car, and he rushed on, so that I laid my restraining hand upon him, saying, not so fast, this is dangerous. What are you in trouble about, I said. Oh, he said, our little baby girl is at death's door, and I'm taking you out there to pray for her. The doctors don't think she'll live through the day. I don't know how to pray, he said. I am an unbelieving man, a wicked man. I'm not a Christian. But uh, this child must have help above men. And I'm taking you out there to pray for her. 
And now we reached the house and went in and I stood beside the couch of the dear little baby girl, the sands of whose life were galloping away. I stood there about a minute taking in the situation and the big wild man laid hold of me and shook me and said, man, pray now, you've got no time to lose. What is it? Prayers and imperiously urgent necessity of our very being. Still again, prayer is profitable because prayer is noble. And conversely, it is ignoble for men and women not to pray. One of the loftiest elements in human life is gratitude. And one of the basest elements in life is ingratitude. Now one of the chief elements in prayer is the element of thanksgiving. The Bible says in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving let your requests be made known unto God. Prayer is noble. Prayer pleases God. Still again, prayer is profitable because prayer is obligatory. Prayer is divinely commanded upon us all in the holy word of God. Wherever you turn, the call to prayer is everywhere in evidence. Listen to two or three of its great sentences. Call unto me, and I will answer thee, and I will show thee great things and difficult which thou knowest not. And again, if any of you lack wisdom, let him ask of God, who giveth to all men liberally, and upbraideth not. And again, Jesus spake a parable to them to the end, that men ought always to pray and not to faint. And again, Paul, chiefest Christian of the centuries, said, I exhort therefore that first of all prayers, intercessions, and supplications be made for all men. Leave nobody out. Pass nobody by. Include humanity in your appeal to God. Prayer is commanded of God. We think of it as a privilege, and it is a privilege priceless. I believe I shall say that prayer is a privilege incomparable. Incomparable. But prayer is more than a privilege. Prayer is a bounden duty. Prayer is an inescapable obligation. Men disobey God and fly in the face of his plain command if they fail to pray. Whatever comes, whatever goes, we are to be men and women of prayer. And though we may suffer evil consequences here and there, we are not to be stopped from prayer by the same. When the old prophet Samuel was turned aside in his old days by an ungrateful people, and then troubles came on the people, and in their troubles they turned back to their old friend, the prophet, and asked him, wouldn't he pray for them in their awful plight? Mark his sublime answer, God forbid that I should sin against the Lord in ceasing to pray for you. Prayer is commanded of God. Once more, prayer is profitable because it's answered. The tree is known by its fruits. Prayer is profitable because it is answered, gloriously answered. When we turn to the word of God, the answers to prayer stand out like mountain peaks. One thinks of Abraham praying for his nephew Lot and family yonder in the ill-fated city of Sodom. One thinks of Jacob praying yonder beside the brook Jabbok, saying to the angel wrestling with him, I cannot let thee go except thou bless me. 
One thinks of the early church meeting for an all-night prayer meeting for Simon Peter, their leader, in jail. And after a while, guarded and hemmed in though he was, he shows up at that prayer meeting. He's delivered. Prayer is gloriously answered. Oh, if this audience today had the time and were turned into a testimony meeting, there would be timid women here and modest manly men here who would give their testimony on their sacred honor that God had heard and answered their prayer. Prayer is profitable. It is reasonable. It is necessary. It is noble. It is obligatory. It is answered. The case is made out. Prayer is profitable. Very well. What follows then? Since prayer is profitable, what follows? Two things. And one, we should pray more. And the other, we should seek to pray in the right way. And first, we should pray more. The Bible tells us, ye have not because ye ask not. Tells us that point blank, ye have not because ye ask not. Oh, how much we've lost by unoffered prayer. Unoffered prayer, neglected prayer, how much we've lost. How different things might have been in your life and yours and in the lives of others around you if you had asked God like you could and like you ought in the hurrying years that have come and gone. We should pray more, and then we should seek to pray in the right way. And the Bible doesn't leave us in the darkness at that point. The same apostle that says, ye have not because ye ask not, went on to remind us, ye ask, but ye do not receive, because ye ask amiss, that ye may consume it, the answer you get upon your own pleasure. Then we are to pray with the right motive. Motive is the supreme matter in the sight of God. We are to pray with the right motive, ever the right motive. The will of God is ever to be in our prayers. You don't want to change the will of God by your praying, because the will of God is always right and couldn't be wrong. You want to pray God to change your will and to change your way contrary to his way to bring it into blessed subjection and obedience to his way. We're to pray with the right motive. We are to pray with the right spirit toward our fellow men. If you have ill will and animosity and hate in your heart towards your fellow men, then until you're delivered from that, you can't pray acceptably and victoriously in the sight of God. Why you look astonished and say, but the man talked about me, uh, misrepresented me, did me evil and persistently did so, am I to pass that by? You are. Turn the case over to God and leave it there. Vengeance is mine, I will repay. You wouldn't know where to begin if the matter was left up to you to get back at the man that's wronged you. You wouldn't know where to begin, and you wouldn't know where to stop. You wouldn't know where to begin because you don't know the springs of uh, activity in the man's life, the motive behind it all. But here's one who does know. Father, I take this case and turn it over to thee once and for all. Do that and leave it there. And you can go on praying. Prayer is hindered again because of a wrong life. The Bible reminds us, if I regard iniquity in my heart, the Lord will not hear me. If I've got in my life some habit down-dragging, enervating, poisoning, consuming, destroying, 
Now, as long as I'm willing to keep it there, I needn't call on God. Except ye repent, ye shall all likewise perish. Uh, if I regard iniquity in my heart, if I pet it and cuddle it and defend it and keep it there, but if I come with the cry to God, I'm weak, I'm overborn, I'm bludgeoned, I'm in the dust, I failed. Infinite Lord, clothed with perfect wisdom and power and grace and mercy, help a man as he cries, God, be merciful to me, a sinner. And he'll help you. You'll not be left in the lurch as God lives. You'll not be left in the lurch. Most of all, prayer is hindered because we don't take God at his word. We beat about and around. He comes saying, dost thou believe? What have you done with your faith? What are my promises to you? They are yea and amen, always in Christ. What are you doing with these promises? Jesus gives one promise. If two of you shall agree, if two of you shall agree, shall symphonize, shall play the same tune, shall be in accord, shall agree, if two of you shall agree as touching anything on the earth that you shall ask, it shall be done for you of the Father in heaven. Oh, what an incentive, what a challenge, what an inspirational challenge to us to pray. Shall we not make this matter personal? Shall we not make this matter personal? And in order that we may make it just as personal as possible, may I ask you two or three brief words and let you go? How much do you pray? How much have you prayed today? For whom have you prayed today? And for what have you prayed today? With a world about us drifting pell-mell, all bedarkened and driven by the forces of Satan and his evil emissaries, how much have you prayed for a troubled, bludgeoned, sinning, dying world today? How much do you pray? Is this greatest privilege of all? Is it being disregarded? Is this supremest talent of all that God has given us, the talent of intercession, the talent of prayer for others, is the talent tied up and wrapped in a napkin and put away unused? How much do you pray? Then the other word, what if people hadn't prayed for you and for me? Where would we be today? But if you and I hadn't had a praying mother who bound us day and night with unforgetting prayers to the heart of God, where would we be now? But if some friend, trusted and true, hadn't followed us when we were careless and unforgetting, but he wasn't careless and unforgetting, when we went on in evil ways, he was walking in the narrow way and thought of us and pleaded with God to arrest our steps and to save us before we took the ill-fated leap over the precipice to irrecoverable destruction. Where would we be today without a friend like that? Oh, hadn't we better dedicate ourselves anew this very day to this chiefest, highest matter of all, the matter of prayer. The supreme thing the city of Dallas needs is a great spiritual visitation. The supreme thing the state of Texas needs is a great spiritual visitation from God out of heaven. The supreme thing America needs, the supreme thing the world needs, is for the world in its condemnation and disobedience and unfaith to stop recognizing nations and communities and peoples have broken down and are failing. 
and God stands with outstretched arms saying, call on me, trust me and follow me. Oh, let's heed his word. Let's heed it now. 